Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew 5, starting with verse 17. We're going to look at a, about five, six verses here. Say amen when you're there. Amen. All right, starting with verse 17, it says, Don't misunderstand. This is what Jesus is saying. He said, Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No. I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Verse 19 says, so if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great the kingdom of heaven. And finally, verse 20, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Think about the recipients of what Jesus was saying, the scribes, the religious leaders. The Pharisees heard this, and they wondered how Jesus' teaching related to all that they knew, all that they've been taught their entire life about Moses' law. Because the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, God reveals his standards for living. And, and the, the, the uh, Pharisees defended that wholeheartedly. They defended the law and they sought to obey it. But Jesus says that true righteousness, true righteousness that pleases God, must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So he's telling not only the religious leaders of the day, but everybody that was a recipient of hearing what Jesus said, just the common folks. He said, your righteousness has to exceed, it has to exceed that of your religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. And to the common person, the scribes and Pharisees were considered the most holy individuals in the community. So how could their righteousness exceed that? Well, I believe Jesus demonstrates various approaches to the law that we're going to look at this morning. And the first approach is this, you can destroy the law. You can destroy the law. The Pharisees thought that's exactly what Jesus was doing. They thought he was destroying the law. Uh, to begin with, his authority didn't come from uh, any recognized leaders that they were aware of. It did, didn't come from any schools that he went to. Instead of teaching from other authorities, the bottom line is, Jesus was the authority, amen? And he taught with passion, with truth, but he, but he taught with authority. Jesus taught with authority. And here's the interesting thing. His actions seemed to defy the law, and that was troubling to the Pharisees. He, he deliberately healed people on the Sabbath, on a day that you're not supposed to do anything. He hung out with, the Bible says, publicans and sinners. 
Does anybody know what a publican is? At, at, at first read, you might think that might be a politician. Okay. But it, it, what, what it refers to really is, is tax collectors. Jesus hung out with tax collectors and, and sinners. And so he did everything that uh, would not have gotten endorsed by the scribes and Pharisees and who he associated with. And, of course, the miracles he did on the Sabbath. He, he seemed to defy all that they stood for. They thought he rejected the law. Yet, it was the Pharisees and, and, and the Sadducees and the scribes that were destroying the law by their traditions. They were robed or masqueraded in righteousness, but their hearts were not clean. And, and see, the Pharisees thought they were protecting the law, God's word. They thought that that was their position, that that, that was their calling to protect the law. But in reality, in reality, they were preserving God's word. You might think, well, that's a good thing. Well, it wasn't that kind of preserving. It was more like embalming the law. It was dead, had no life. It reminds me of a story of a man who went to Israel. And he went to Israel with his wife and his mother-in-law. It's a trip they'd planned for years and years and years. And when they got to Israel, unfortunately, when they were in Israel on the tours and whatnot, the mother-in-law passed away. She died right there in Israel. And so they went to a funeral home, and they met with the funeral director there in Israel, in Jerusalem. And, and the funeral director explained to the man, it's going to cost $1,500 to send your mother-in-law back to the States. Or we can bury her here in the Holy Land for $150. He says, I'll ship her back. And he couldn't, the funeral director couldn't understand, yeah, that's a lot of money, $1,500. We can do a, a very nice burial here in the Holy Land for your mother-in-law. He said, no, I recall a guy that you buried about 2,000 years ago. <laughs> he rose three days later. I can't take that chance. Here's what Paul, the apostle, says in Galatians. I'm going to share a lot of scripture with you today, uh, substantiating what's being said in the content and context of Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Paul says, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, before the way of faith of Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law, by the Ten Commandments. We were kept in protective custody. I love the verbiage there that Paul uses so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way, Paul says. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. Through faith. Can you say that? Through faith. It, the law protected us until we could be made right through Christ in faith. And so the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they rejected Jesus. They rejected him. And, and really what this did is it proved that God's word didn't penetrate their heart. It didn't change their heart. It was all about the exterior. It was all about what people saw as they masqueraded around town, around the church, synagogue, as, as holy and righteous people. And Jesus made it clear that he came 
not to abolish the law, but to honor the law. He, 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 he wanted to help God's people not only embrace it, but live it, and, and he wouldn't ex, uh, accept any artificial uh, righteousness that was typically seen in Jesus' day by the religious leaders. Their, their religion was a dead ritual. They were embalmed, had no living relationship with God. Now, I grew up in a church that taught me to fear God, to love God. I was introduced later on as a teenager to a fact that I could have a relationship with a living God, a living Savior. Jesus is alive today. And I had never heard that before. And the scriptures pointed that out to me as the pastor preached that I could have a relationship. So it's not about religion. And you hear that a lot here at Eagle Ridge Church where I communicate. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus. That he opened the door. We'll continue. That'll make more sense in a few minutes. Another view or way we can approach the law is you can fulfill the law. Matthew says, don't misunderstand me in verse 17. Matthew is, is communicating what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophet. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. He came to fulfill the law. Fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilled the law in every area of his life. I mean, we look at his birth. Paul describes it this way in Galatians 4.4. He says, and I'll read it to you. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. A fulfillment. Every prescribed Jewish ritual and ceremony that was available, Jesus' parents had him go through those things as a, as a young Jewish baby boy. But it was his death, the death of Jesus Christ, that I would say especially and dramatically filled or fulfilled the law. In other words, he bore the curse of the law on the cross. Listen to what Paul says again in Galatians 3, verse 13. He says, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. Jesus has rescued us from the curse of the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it was written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hung on the tree. So Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament types, the Old Testament ceremonies, so that they no longer are required by the people of God. And if you read, if you go to the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 9 through chapter 10, you'll see this as, as true. Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law. And in fact, he set aside the old covenant and brought in the new covenant. Jesus didn't destroy the law by trying or attempting to fight against it. He fulfilled the law. He destroyed it by fulfilling it. Now, it reminds me of something that took place almost 30 years ago. I was on top of a roof. We were doing some roofing. And one of my dear friends, we got into a dialogue. And he said, Steve, do you want to be obedient to God? And I said, sure, absolutely. He goes, well, how come you're not? 
I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, you don't worship God on the day that he has chosen for us to worship, which is Saturday, the Sabbath. The Old Testament says that's the day set aside to worship, the Sabbath. And that's a conversation that started about 30 years ago, and even to this day, we periodically meet and talk about that. And the context of Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 20 really settles how we ought to look at that. I'll continue. You can fulfill the law. Jesus is a fulfillment of the law. Uh, he fulfilled the Old Testament types and ceremonies, as I said. He destroyed it by fulfilling it. And um, perhaps this illustration will help you understand. You can take an acorn, and you can destroy it in one of two ways. You can put it on a hard surface, get a hammer and smash it, obliterate it into pieces, and that will kill it. Or you can plant it in the ground, that acorn. It will die. And then it'll sprout. It'll become an oak tree. And that's what Jesus has done in this idea of fulfilling the law and bringing new life. And I can't think of a passage that better explains the freedom from rules and regulations and the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Colossae in Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read it to you. I want you to just... If you want to turn there, you can, but I want you to, j to maybe just sit and absorb what is being said in God's Word here. I think it'll minister and, and, and maybe even set you free from some of the things that you've bought into that might ne not necessarily be good for you. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down deep into Him. I love that exhortation of don't be satisfied with being a baby in Christ, but grow. Let the roots go in deep. Study the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. Amen? And let your lives be built on Him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you'll overflow with thankfulness. Would you agree with the statement that today it's difficult. It's, diff it's challenging, I should say. That's a better word, to be thankful. When you look at all the stuff that's going on, it's easily uh, distracting, overly concerning, stressful, and sometimes we miss being thankful. Isn't that right? Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, listen to this, and high-sounding nonsense. You heard a lot of high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, not by a physical procedure, Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of sinful nature. Listen to this. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the power of God who raised Christ from the dead. 
You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of your sins. Can you say all? all. Christ forgave all, all of our sins. I love it. He canceled the record of the charges against us. That's beautiful. Jesus canceled the record of the sins, the charges that are against us. And he took it away by nailing, nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers. It's military language. It's warfare language. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by the victory over them, over sin, over death on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moons, ceremonies, or Sabbaths. Someone say amen. amen. Let's go get another donut, right? <laughs> you can eat anything you want, but you have to suffer the consequences. The tummy ache, the extra poundage you might gain, that's on you. But don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or celebrating holy days or new moons or ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are not only shadows, I like the, the wording, they're not only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ, and Paul answers that, Christ is the reality. It's fulfilled. All those ceremonies and traditions and things that, that uh, different expressions of faith adhere to, those are expressions of, of shadows and, 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 and uh, a reality that's yet to come, but that reality has come, and his name is Jesus. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, who made a declaration that I'm going to lead somebody to Christ every day, every day of my life. Can you imagine having that kind of credo? One night, he got ready for bed. It's a cold, windy Chicago night. Any of you from Chicago have been there? Every night's cold and windy. If it's not hot and muggy. And he got hunkered into bed and all cuddled up, ready for a good night's sleep. And all of a sudden, he was woke up and realized, I haven't led anybody to Christ. He looked at the watch and realized there was still time before the next day appeared. He got up out of bed, put on his raincoat, put on his rubber boots, went out. It was raining. It was cold. It was windy. It was dark. It was late at night. And there, sitting on the curb, all by himself was an individual. There was nobody else out. And he walked to, up to him and he said, God has assigned me to you. You need to accept Jesus right now. And of course, that man accepted Christ. I love the faithfulness of D.L. Moody. He said, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that's contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and and ambition in the world. There's no room for the Spirit of God. We must be emptied before we can be filled. 
opportunities over 30 years of ministry have brought some interesting experiences. Uh, a couple who uh, come, a couple of experiences that come to mind is uh, being asked to pray for somebody who they thought was demon possessed, and there were a lot of manifestations of various things that were taking place in people's lives, and and I've learned to approach that with just asking God as I go into a time of prayer, but asking the Holy Spirit to consume and overwhelm this individual. One Sunday we had a gentleman, I think he was a gentleman, but he charged the pulpit. And I could tell during the whole time I was preaching he wasn't happy. And uh, I actually came down and met him halfway at the end of the service and prayed that prayer and he just went limp. I think when the Spirit of God is, is around and, and, and asked and, and sought and uh, requested, it's very, very difficult for the demons to respond to that. And then and only then can you begin to do the surgery of exorcism and bringing somebody to freedom in Christ. How can you and I fulfill the law? The answer is yielding to the Holy Spirit. It's a natural expression of who we are in Christ just to if you be a, become acquainted with the Ten Commandments. They're good. They're right and they're true. Paul says uh, there's no condemnation in Romans 8, 1 through 3 for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable, listen to this, the law of Moses was unable, talking about the Ten Commandments, to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Nobody could keep the law. That's why God sent his son. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. Somebody, if you didn't hear anything, this is for you. And in that body, the body of Christ, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Sin no longer has control over us. Well, pastor, it doesn't feel like that. I'm struggling with this, that, and the other, that besetting sin that is just messing up my whole life. It's, it's robbed me of joy and peace, and I can't seem to break away, and every time I fall flat on my face, I cry out to God in sincerity for him to take that sin Take it to the next level of declaring the truth of God's, the absolute truth of God's word that you do have victory over sin. Don't allow the enemy to lie to you. And when you fall, you stand back up and you declare the truth and you receive the forgiveness that's available to you. Amen? And you declare the truth of God's word. You dig in and you stand on the truth of God's word. Another approach that we can have toward the law is you can practice and teach the law of God. Listen to this, verse 19 of Matthew 5. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in God's kingdom. 
But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of God. And listen, this does not mean to major on the Old Testament and ignore the New Testament. It's clear that our ministry today is the New Covenant, the New Testament, established and founded by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's clear. It's crystal clear. And Paul puts it and packages that beautifully in 2 Corinthians. Just listen to this. Chapter 3. Lots of scripture today. It's not what... It's not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He's enabled us to minister, to be ministers of the new covenant. That's all of us as believers. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. You see the difference? The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. Whom the son has set free is free indeed. That's truth. That's life. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began, and and catch this, this is deep. The old way etched in stone, the Ten Commandments, led to death, though it began with such glory. And and here's the glory. Listen, that the people of Israel could not bear the look of Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was uh, already fading away. I want to stop there and just say, when, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the commandments of God, the law of God for the nation of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, when he came back down the mountain, he had the tablets and his face shone. He had been in the presence of God. The people couldn't even look at him because of the glory of God upon Moses' face. And it says, because of that glory. Shouldn't we expect a far greater glory under the new way? He's talking about the new covenant. Now that the Holy Spirit is giving life, if the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared to the overwhelming glory of the new way, the new covenant. So Paul is doing a compare and contrast with the Old Testament way and the New Testament, the new covenant way. And so if that old way which has been replaced was was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Then he says, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they can't understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. I'm going to stop there and just say that, have you ever felt that unction and anointing from the Holy Spirit, you're, and you're speaking truth. Some, somebody may be asking questions of you, uh, religious questions, theology, doctrine, what, what have you, and you start speaking truth. All the time you've studied and read God's Word and memorized Scripture, it just starts flowing out of you. You're in that zone. You're speaking the truth of God's Word, but they're looking at you, and their eyes are glazing over, and drool starting to run down their <laughs> face. They don't get it. They can't see it. They have a veil They have a veil. 
They can't see. And, and what Paul says here is that, that um, this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. You've heard people say, well, I don't really understand the Bible. I've made several attempts to read it and try to understand it. I, just, it's, I can't understand the Bible. Believe unto Jesus. When Christ is in your heart, the Holy Spirit comes in and fills you. One of the attributes, uh, that's a fancy word for job, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, one of the actions, I should say, of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate Scripture, to enlighten us in what God's Word says. Amen? And so that, that, that veil gets lifted. Verse 16, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You ever go to a place where there's just so many rules and regulations, you've got to do this and jump through this hoop and twirl around three times and, you know, to be right with God. And it's like that's a lot of religiosity and legalism. And the Spirit of the Lord's not there. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. When I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I believed in God, but I had never received Christ as my Lord and Savior. And, and when I did that, I didn't all of a sudden know doctrine and know theology and really kind of even know what to do next. It's been a process. Would you agree with that? Your Christian walk's a process as you grow closer and closer to the Lord. Here's the challenge and exhortation today. Grow closer to the Lord. Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. Study the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. Daily devotions with the Lord. Hang out with other believers. Get involved in Bible studies. Before you know it, you're going to grow and you're going to experience some... Um, scriptural and spiritual knowledge that when you're up against the wall with issues and challenges and trouble, God's going to empower you with the Word of God to fight those battles. Remember, Jesus fought the devil with a samurai sword, right? Martial arts. I mean, he was a kung fu master. No, Jesus fought the enemy with the Word of God, didn't he? That's how he fought the enemy, and he prevailed and had victory and continues to do so today. So nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated throughout the New Testament. And they're commanded to the believers, for believers. The exception is the Sabbath commandment, the Saturday worship of the Lord. It was given as a sign to Israel. We see that in Nehemiah 9, 12. The church of Jesus Christ worships let me say it this way. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the day he rose, which is Sunday. And that's why we meet together. We see that evidenced in the early church after the resurrection. Believers of the way, Christianities, Christianity, they came together and they worshiped on Sunday, celebrating the day that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And we continue to do that today. I want to end with a story about the enemy of this world, Satan. He was on the side of life's road with a very large cage. And a man came toward him and noticed that he had 
this cage was crammed full of people from of every, every kind, young to old, every race, every nation, crammed into this cage. And the, and the man asked, where'd you get all these people? And Satan replied, from all over the world. I'm, I lure them with drinking, drugs, lust, lies, anger, hate, love of money, and all manner of things. I pretend that I'm their friend, out to give them a good time. Then when I've hooked them, into the cage they go. What are you going to do with them? The man asked. Satan grinned with that grimacing smirk of his. I'm going to prod them. I'm going to provoke them. I'm going to get them to hate and destroy each other. I'll stir up racial hatred, defiance of law and order. I'll make people bored, lonely, dissatisfied. I'll make them confused and restless. It's easy. People always listen to what I offer them. And what's even better yet is they'll blame God for it. They'll blame God for the outcome. And then what the man asked, those who do not destroy themselves, Satan said, I'm going to destroy. None will escape. At that point, the man stepped forward. He said, can I buy these people from you? Satan snarled. Yes, but it'll cost you your life. See, that's what Jesus did. Jesus paid with his life. He willingly went to the cross and he took on all of our sin, all of our failure, all of our shortcomings. He took on our, our iniquities, our pain. He took it all on the cross, all of it. He paid the price. We don't have to pay the price. Jesus took on all of it so you no longer have to be caged, trapped. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for your word. Even in passages that seem seemingly difficult in context, Holy Spirit, you reveal to us the magnitude of truth that's life-changing and transformational in our lives, Lord. Father, I lift up every person here, every family that's represented here this morning. And my heart goes out to anybody who may not have a personal relationship with you, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would touch each and every heart. Holy Spirit, move even now. I pray that people get saved today. Lord, I also pray for those who have drifted from the relationship they once had with you, that they'd reconnect to you today. And Lord, I also pray this third thing, that today would be a day of commitment, a step up spiritually of a commitment to faithfulness in serving you, following you, Jesus, drawing close to you, 
studying your word. Lord, I pray these three things today. As your heads are bowed, if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, the Bible says when Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior and you repent of your sins, he forgives you of your sins. God writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. You'll have eternal life, forgiveness of sins. You have everything to gain. If you don't do that, you have everything to lose. There may be others here this morning who have drifted and walked away from God in some capacity. Whatever it could be, distractions, heartache, disappointment. I want you to know this morning, God loves you. He really loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. Would you reconnect with him? I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And I'm going to ask everybody if you'd be willing to pray this out loud for those who would give their heart to Jesus for maybe the very first time. Or maybe you're rededicating your life to the Lord. Pray this prayer. Repeat this prayer. But let it be more than words. Pray with your heart with all sincerity. Pray this prayer with me right now. Wherever you're at, if you're watching online, pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, please forgive me of all of my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the grave. I now ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Be the master of my life. I want to pray one more prayer. For those of you who have a relationship with God, Today is the day to step up the commitment at a whole new level. Filled with passion and desire to read the Word of God, to study the Word of God, to do the things that God's called us to do. God has for you an abundant life, not just a life where you get up every day and you get through the day and day by day and week by week and month by month and year by year go by. And you look back and it flashes by so fast. God has an abundant life for you. An impactful, significant, bigger than you can imagine. So Father, I lift up everybody here that's willing to make the next level commitment in their faith and faithfulness to you. I want you to pray this prayer if you're willing to do that. Jesus, I come to you right now. And I commit my entire life to you. My mind, my heart, my aspirations, my dreams. Lord, I want to walk in your will. Empower me, Holy Spirit, from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Praise God. Listen, if you accepted Christ for the first time or you rededicated your life to the Lord, there's a couple of things I'd like you to do. One, you can fill out a connection card. We have them on the tables in the back in the lobby outside in the courtyard. Uh, please fill that out and let me know 
that what you did. There's a, a spot on the back of the card called My Next Steps where you can fill out what you, what you did today. I want to encourage you in your new journey in faith, if you rededicated your life or gave your heart to Christ. If you don't have a Bible, I want to give you a Bible. So let me know. I have a New Believer's Bible for you. Greg Laurie put it together called the New Believer's Bible. I just love it. It's filled with wonderful notes that will help you in your journey with the Lord. So let me know if you need a new Bible. And if you made a commitment to Christ uh, in that capacity, you can fill out that connection card or you can text the word pray. Now, if you text the word pray to the number you see on the screen right now, that indicates to me that you gave your heart to Christ or you rededicated your life to the Lord. And then we'll start a whole texting uh, relationship where I just want to encourage you in your faith journey. If you made a commitment to Christ in some way, capacity today, please let me know so we can pray for you. Our pastors and leaders come together each and every week to pray for you. And so we'd like to pray for you. God bless you. I look forward to seeing you next week. We're going to continue our quest in the Gospel of Matthew. We'll see you next week.